Have you ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound a little too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. How's it going, everyone? I'm Zachary Crockett. You're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Our team is out for a well-deserved break for the day, but don't worry. We're going to give you a two-for-one deal on this episode. Today, we're running two of our favorite conversations from 2022. One about how millennials are changing sales and another on the economics of holiday rom-coms. Let's get into it. The sales world used to be all about personal relationships and mantras like always be closing. It kind of still is, but with technology and shifting consumer trends, things are pushing the profession into a different direction. Rob, you worked in sales for a while in your past life. Things are kind of changing a little bit in this space right now. Generally speaking, I totally agree. I think the world of sales is changing big time. I think what most people see when they think about sales is kind of like this charismatic huckster, right? Uh-huh. I mean, I think yeah. there are like a few go-to movie references that people look at. Mm-hmm. If you think about the always be closing speech in Glengarry Glen Ross that Alec Baldwin's character makes, it's absolutely classic. There's a speech that Ben Affleck's character makes in Boiler Room that's uh-huh. all about how much money you can make in sales that's just legendary. Do actual salespeople see those depictions as kind of goofy or are they like amped up when they see them in media? One of the big things about sales right now is some people are still kind of interested in that old stereotype hmm. and kind of the older portrayal of what sales is and, you know, doing business on the golf course, closing big right. deals on vacation, like all that sort of stuff I think some people really love. There are also people in sales right now that I think look at that and feel like it's everything that's wrong with sales that is essentially changing right now. Mm. I think when you look at sales right now and kind of the modern day-to-day of a sales rep, there are two really big changes. Mm. The first thing is that buyers are finding products on their own. I think the advent of the internet and the ability for buyers to find products that might solve whatever challenges they're dealing with Mm. has completely changed the game. A lot of times, buyers are finding products on their own. The sales rep isn't necessarily in control of that conversation. Mm. Back in the day, sales reps would have kind of like a list of leads or target accounts that they might be managing and would make cold calls to people to kind of introduce them to their product. And people are still cold calling, but I think like the big trend here is that they're cold calling a lot less than they used to. I think part of it is like millennials are realizing that buyers don't want to be hammered over the phone with calls by a pushy sales rep to buy something. Hmm. A lot of millennial sales reps now are texting the people that they're selling to or DMing them on Twitter or LinkedIn and just have much more direct communication with them than in the past where it kind of felt like sales reps were chasing people down and making a million calls to try to get in touch. Hmm. There are kind of two big broad trends that are changing in sales. One is that buyers are finding their products on their own. What's the second one? 
The second thing is that sales cycles are taking a lot longer. I think part of that might just be due to information overload and having more options than ever. I think in the digital landscape that we're dealing with now, like I said earlier, buyers can find products on their own. And a lot of the time they're going to exhaust all the options to kind of see what they can do. For instance, I put in a fence at my house earlier this year and we looked at, I think, six different local vendors, right? Like Mm -hmm. it took time for each of them to come out. We had to get a quote from all of them. So it's not the type of thing anymore where somebody can just come in, tell you exactly how they're going to do it, tell you that they do the best work in town Mm -hmm. and kind of convince you to make that decision right off the bat. I think buyers have a lot more information at their disposal. Mm -hmm. And as a result, sales cycles are starting to take a lot longer. And especially in a B2B sense, instead of pushing a sale on kind of like a single decision maker or a couple of executives, sales reps now have to spend time kind of mapping out the organization and building value up and down the org chart. For instance, sales reps now might start with somebody who is an individual contributor that is super involved in the day-to-day of whatever product they're selling and kind of build that person up as a champion that can loop in other members of the organization and pull them in over time and kind of show them what will be valuable for their job. And so all of this takes a lot of time, right? You have to spend time kind of meeting with different people, Mm -hmm. mapping out how you can create value for different levels of the organization. And ultimately, I think the big result is that sales professionals look a lot more like product consultants today Mm -hmm. than I think most people would realize. A lot of the time, sales professionals are super knowledgeable about their product. I think the most successful sales professionals today aren't necessarily pushing their product on people. They are kind of taking like a um, educational and kind of expert approach and saying, hey, here's kind of what we do. Here's who we work for. Like it may or may not be a fit for you, but like, let's figure that out together. And so it's much more of kind of like a back and forth consulting conversation than the typical like, you need our product, you know, that that most people would probably think when they think about sales. Sure. Last question, are we ever going to see the return of the door-to-door salesman? <laughs> <laughs> the cut cone knives? Or, yeah, come on. Yeah, I am sure. I mean, I get people from solar companies knocking on my door <laughs> like once a week at least. So I think the uh, door-to-door salesman is alive and well in some industries. Now, as an ex-salesperson, do you kind of have some sympathy for those people when they knock on your door? Definitely. I think the best thing you can do is just be super honest with them. Mm-hmm. I'll tell them like, listen, man, I've been in your shoes. I'm just telling you right now, we're not a viable lead for you. Like, <laughs> You can leave me your card and I'll call you if it becomes a thing, but you know, we're not going to do something like this right now. See, I must be a salesperson's worst nightmare then because I hate letting people <laughs> down. I feel like really yeah. bad. I'm like the kind of guy who's he'll like invite the salesperson inside for lunch or something and just like they'll spend like two hours there and then I'll just be like, all right, I'm not interested in buying this, but it was a nice meeting. Right. Yeah. It was a great (laughs) lunch. Sorry for taking up two hours of your day, but I hope you like the sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Around this time every year, streaming platforms and TV networks are flooded with holiday rom-coms. And there's a reason for that. They're fast, they're cheap, and they yield great results. Juliet, it feels like the vast majority of new movies coming to streaming platforms this winter are rom-coms. Yes. Why do producers love this genre? (laughs) So you would be perhaps correct. According to Entertainment Weekly, there are 164 holiday films coming to streaming services this holiday season alone, and most of them are romantic comedies or romances. Hmm. There is one, however, about a killer Santa robot. So not all rom-coms. Well, that could be a rom-com to some people, I guess. Yeah, sure. Essentially, they're easy to produce, they're cheap, and they consistently make people money. That Mm. is the draw. So if we look at the reigning champ 
of holiday movies. That would be the Hallmark Channel, which is owned by Crown Media Family Network. They have produced over 300 holiday movies since 2009. And this year alone, they have 40. Jeez. I looked at Lifetime. They have 20-something. You know, Netflix does it. Hallmark <laughs> has the most, I want to say, of all the networks. So the way Hallmark does it is they shoot year-round, usually in Canada, due to favorable tax credits. Every movie takes maybe two to three weeks to make and costs about $2 million. Sometimes that includes $50,000 in fake snow Hmm. if they're not shooting during the winter. The cast and crew, they generate about $1.2 to $1.5 million for the local economy. And then that glut of holiday movies attracts over 80 million viewers and During that time period, Hallmark becomes the most watched cable channel among women 18 to 49 and women 25 to 54, which is a great demographic because women are often in charge of doing all the holiday shopping and making purchases for their household. Every season, it generates about $350 million or more in ad revenue, which is a third of the channel's annual ad revenue. My gosh. So big business with the holiday rom-coms here. Wow. So all cable channels, it's the most popular channel with women aged 18 to 49 and 25 Apparently. to 54. And the news here is that a new entrant is coming into the space in the holiday rom-com industry. Yes, this, this is how we all got interested in this is uh, QVC announced that they would be producing their first holiday movie. It is called Holly and the Hot Chocolate. And as you may have predicted, yes, it is about a big city gal. She is a food critic. <laughs> And she gets stuck in a small town where she, of course, meets a humble, hunky auto mechanic because she's stuck there, of course, so she has to talk to a mechanic. And while she's there, she learns that the town is obsessed with its proprietary, I suppose, hot chocolate recipe. Everyone loves it. And then a QVC host, David Venable, who I guess hosts like this kitchen goods show, he is the hot chocolate vendor. So he has a cameo in it. And then, of course, (laughs) viewers can buy the hot chocolate recipe or mix that's like a tie-in with this New York City dessert shop called Serendipity. So you got the classic tried-and-true holiday movie formula, you got a cameo from a QVC host, and you have a product people can buy. Interesting. So you have a channel that traditionally sells stuff using a holiday movie as almost like a sales tool to generate sales Exactly. And they're not the only Mm -hmm. one kind of doing something in this vein. I saw Discovery had a couple coming out that utilized their Food Network hosts. Bobby Flay has a cameo as a food critic in one. There are a couple home improvement rom-coms that have some of their like home design renovation (laughs) hosts in them. So there's definitely a lot of (laughs) cross-promotion going on with these holiday movies. Interesting. Well, Mark, we had to bring you on the show because I know that you are probably the chief rom-com critic on this team. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I watch them all year round, not Christmas rom-coms all year round, but rom-coms. And during November and December, I will dabble. I will dabble with Hallmark, (laughs) with the sort of big budget rom-coms that used to come out and and still do to some extent. And also with what I would call the prestige Christmas fair (laughs) that we've seen a little bit more of over the last few years. (laughs) How would you describe the prestige Christmas fair? I think that there are some production companies and some streamers that are trying to come up with rom-coms that either sort of reinvent the formula or Mm. have like actual good actors in them. One example would be Happiest Season, which is what I kind of recommend for anyone watching a Christmas rom-com. That came out in 2020. It has Kristen Stewart in it. Mm. It has uh, Mackenzie Davis in it, as well as Daniel Levy. Mm. And it does not kind of turn out how you expect. But yeah, there are a lot of ways to have a Christmas movie 
sometimes they even make them bittersweet, which I, I do enjoy as a change of pace. And what's the allure of like holiday rom-coms for you? I think it's really a comfort level because it, at the holidays from, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas, I want to just kind of experience all the feels, you know, sure. and these movies that come out, they just sort of remind me of Christmases that there used to be, which I think is mm-hmm. also why they're a good business because you can just keep watching them like Elf. I may not watch that every year, but I do watch it a lot. Mm-hmm. Home Alone. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the highest grossing Christmas films and Home Alone is number two and it grossed nearly half a billion dollars at the box office. But that doesn't include how much that it's still probably making in residuals mm-hmm. by being on like TBS mm-hmm. literally like five times a week for these next few weeks. Mm-hmm. So that sort of business of nostalgia and comfort is very strong. And then I think finally, one reason why Hallmark has been so successful and Lifetime to a lesser extent is because they bring in these sort of like recycled stars who you Mm -hmm. forgot about. And then you see them on December 12th or something like that when you're in the mood for Christmas and you're like, oh yeah, Lacey Chabert, (laughs) you know, the person who wanted to make Fetch happen on Mean Girls is now on my TV again. Hmm. That's a really interesting point you made about, you know, bigger name actors signing on to holiday movies. I mean, obviously, you know, you have the elves and the Grinches of the world, but those rom-coms are usually kind of lower budget lifts sort of greener actors in there, but now we're seeing an expansion into something different entirely. Mm-hmm. You don't really remember any of these Hallmark movies, by the way. You just sort of see them <laughs> and you might rewatch them without even realizing Sure. It. Do you get into rom-coms during the holidays, Julia? I, as will probably not surprise you, tend to have a holiday horror movie night where I invite uh-huh. people over. Of course. <laughs> horror movies and rom-coms, to a certain extent, Definitely have some similarities with the cookie cutter formula and like not the A-list actors tend to have a lower budget. Mm -hmm. People who are fans of them will literally watch any of them. Yeah, I was just going to say that given like the popularity of horror and given the popularity of these Christmas rom-coms that you just, you know, manufacture, you know, off the assembly line, it's surprising to me that there aren't more of these hybrid horror Christmas and rom-com altogether. Like you were saying, Juliet, like they're fun to watch and Mm -hmm. there would absolutely be an audience for it. All right, last question. Where do we fall on the whole Die Hard is a Christmas movie debate? Hmm. I say it's a Christmas movie. It maybe does not push the plot forward, but it is still an integral part of the plot. Hmm. I'm going to go with Die Hard is a Christmas movie for the same reason. It takes place around Christmas. They would not be having a party if it weren't Christmas, etc. And I will say one thing that I have noticed while reading the synopsis of like 146 holiday movies is that you know, we are getting a little more diversity. I saw some Hanukkah rom-coms. I saw some Kwanzaa rom-coms. It's not just the same thing over and over again with just Christmas being the centerpiece. And as you mentioned, uh, Happiest Season is a queer romance between two women. And I saw a lot more of those, like LGBTQ Hmm. rom-coms this year in this roster. So we are, at the very least, diversifying a little bit, even if it is still the small town guy and, and the big city guy as opposed to a more heteronormative situation. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning into the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. That's thehustle.co slash email. We'll see you all next week.